Hi, I'm Rachel Aiello, and I'm back filling in Michael Stiddle this week. And I'm Nick Nanos. And welcome to Trendline. This week, we are taking a look at how federal political leaders responded to calls to address systemic racism and discrimination in Canada, going beyond, as some have said, pretty words. What is prompting some fears of some people around an economic reopening and a possible explosive second wave of COVID-19? and the support or lack thereof of Canada reopening its border. Uh, but before we get into some of the political discussion today, I did want to take note of some statistics. You know, Nick, we are numbers people here at Trendline. And just to give you a sense, a lay of the land of some of the reality when it comes to systemic discrimination and racism in Canada. So these uh, statistics are courtesy of friends at ctvnews.ca. Um, and some of the things we wanted to make note, uh, the most recent census data shows that Black Canadians face far steeper economic challenges than white Canadians and other racial groups. When it comes to hate crimes in Canada, Black people are far more likely than any other racial group to be victims of hate crimes. And in Toronto, according to the Ontario Human Rights Commission, while 8.8% of Toronto residents are Black, they account for 28.8% of police use of force cases. So Nick, kind of with this in mind, you know, from his long pause to me, uh, what is your take on how Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is responding in this moment? You know, well, first of all, we're in a world, and especially Canada, where there should be zero tolerance for racism of any sort. And you know, the thing is, is that what's the tragic events in the United States have put a spotlight on this, not just in the United States, but in Canada. Canadians care, young people care, everyone cares about this. And you know, what we saw at least were the, were the protests this week, Black Lives Matter. And we also saw Prime Minister Justin Trudeau come out, uh, come out of the cottage. He came out in order to join the protesters, bent a knee. And uh, I think it was controversial for some, because of social distancing. But the fact of the matter is, is this is such an important issue. This has been a signature issue for the Liberals who put a big premium and a big focus on diversity and uh, being welcome and fairness and fighting, fighting racism. And uh, so, you know, from my perspective, at least, not a big surprise that Justin Trudeau wanted to come out to show his solidarity with other Canadians who are passionate about this. Right, and we've seen this conversation um, happen amongst some of the opposition parties and ministers as well, sharing experiences about racism and discrimination. And in particular, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, who of course is the first uh, person of color to lead a major political party early in this country. Uh, and he had some interesting perspective on this this week and he had um, some things to say during a take note debate during the House of Commons. And I just wanted to share a bit of what he had to say this week. People are angry, they're feeling like Enough is enough. Why do they need to keep on asking? Why do black people, why do indigenous people need to keep on asking to be treated like a human? Why? You know what? People are done with pretty speeches, particularly pretty speeches from people in power that could do something about it right now if they wanted to. Nick, is, is that right? Are Canadians at the point where they are done with pretty speeches from politicians on issues as pressing and urgent and uh, timely sensitive as racism and discrimination in Canada. Yeah, I think, I think for many Canadians, they're very passionate about this, but there's a level of frustration. What is 
the solution because if we're dealing in a situation where there are some Canadians that are discriminated against because of their because of the color of their skin the question is what do we need to do structurally in order to change the environment for this not to happen and you know the challenge for issues like this is that you know for a lot of other public policy issues the solution is to spend more money but basically on this particular issue we have to change attitudes and it makes it much more difficult so Jagmeet Singh is correct in saying Canadians are tired of what I'll say nice speeches but at the same time they're not sure what the solution is and they know that it's more complex than just spending more money to try to fight this Right. And I definitely think this is going to be an evolving conversation of an evolving policy discussion. So we will keep an eye on how these calls for transformational change kind of continue to unfold. Um, but these protests have also kind of prompted a secondary conversation. This is, we're seeing these mass gatherings of thousands of people, you know, albeit most of them are wearing masks. Um, but there are concerns about this prompting a second spread of COVID-19, another wave of it. Uh, and, and Nick, you've got some numbers that are showing that Canadians' concerns are kind of back on the rise when it comes to the coronavirus? You know, the thing, thing is, Rachel, a couple of weeks ago, we, we saw a drop in the proportion of Canadians that identified the coronavirus as the number one issue of concern. It rocketed up to 50% unprompted, which is quite high. Dropped to 27. Now it's back up to about uh, 32 percentage points uh, or thereabouts with jobs in the economy as the second most important issue out of about one out of every four Canadians. But the, you know, the key takeaway here is that you know, in the last week we saw the protest, there's sympathy for the protest, there's support for the protest. People want change in terms of fighting racism, but at the same time, you know, health authorities have said, you know, people should not be gathering, right? So, uh, so you know, when, when it shouldn't be a surprise that at the same time that Canadians on the one hand are told that they should not gather in large groups, that when they see a large group gathering, even though they have sympathy for that group, that it creates a certain level of anxiety because they wonder, will this have a negative impact in terms of the fight against the coronavirus? And could, could it actually add to a potential resurgence? We don't know that because it's too early right now. Right, and I think a lot of the people who are going to these protests and participating in these demonstrations view anti-Black racism as just as much of a pandemic or a public health risk in its own right, then that's what they are willing to uh, potentially risk to stand up and, and defend. Um, but I'm curious from your numbers, you know, Teresa Tam recently come out and kind of given us the latest modeling and she said that, you know, if we don't do the reopening right, if we don't follow the measures consistently, we could be in for an explosive second wave sometime in the fall. Um, are you noticing regionally across the country, given the fact that the epidemic is quite different in different parts of Canada, uh, if there is different priorities, different concerns, different levels of fear about a second wave? Yeah, actually, uh, Rachel, what's interesting is that there is one region that's a definite outlier when it comes to the issues that they're concerned about. That region would be the Prairie Provinces, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. That's the only region where COVID or the coronavirus is not the top issue of concern. Jobs in the economy is the top national issue of concern. And, you know, the interesting thing is that when you overlay the pandemic numbers uh, on the country writ large, you can see that the prairies, to their benefit, and fortunately for them, have not been as negatively impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic compared to other parts of the province. But it's pretty clear that they are focusing on jobs in the economy. They're worried about the resource sector. And those are the things that are firing up Canadians that live in the prairies right now, not the COVID virus right now.
Interesting. And the other part of this, I'm curious, in the disparities, this is a conversation we had during the last episode, uh, was whether with the communication, this kind of patchwork of approaches, patchwork of messaging from political leaders was leading to some confusion when it comes to economic reopening. You know, I'm thinking an example we saw this week, Ontario Premier Doug Ford, uh, of course, most of that province entering into phase two and allowing more businesses to open, more gatherings to occur. Um, but there are some interesting discrepancies or differences between what is isn't able to be open. Uh, and he was asked, you know, why is it that in Toronto we could get a massage but couldn't get our hair cut? Uh, and here's what he had to say in response. You know, some I can't even argue with you on, on that. I'm going to pass it over to the Minister of Health. There, there's always a reason when they go through the table. And, and uh, but I, I agree. I need a haircut desperately. So we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. I think things will start opening up uh, very soon, but I'll pass over to the Minister. So Nick, is this proving to be what's undoing some of the good political will and sentiment and support that these premiers and other political leaders have gained from the emergency aspect of the COVID-19 pandemic? Like, is communication out of it going to be their downfall? You, you know, the thing, I don't think we should put Doug Ford in a special category because every single premier in Canada and the prime minister are basically stuck in the same, uh, same position. Think of it this way. The beginning of the pandemic, which was from a public policy and communications point of view, the public policy view from, pu from public health authorities was lock things down, self-isolate, stay home. You know, very clear public policy and communications directives, right? It's easy to stick to that. It's easy to drive at home. Fast forward to what I'll say, transitioning back to whatever the new normal might be. And it's just much more complicated much more problematic and not as clear. And, uh, and you know, the thing is, is just the mere fact that there are multiple stages makes it complicated. The fact that there isn't really a national framework in terms of what businesses should be open or not, or even like if, I think if you're in Quebec, Rachel, more people can gather than if you're in Ontario. So it's just little things like that. You know, it would, it would be better for public health authorities in terms of their effectiveness and for politicians, even if provinces could agree on what is the number uh, of, uh, of individuals that can gather. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're a federation, that the pandemic has had a different impact in different parts of the country. And as a result, uh, what people see are kind of what looks like a fragmented approach that is very complicated. And, you know, this is where, what I'll say, the... Uh, the political capital that's been built by many incumbent office holders right now could potentially unwind in the next 30 to 60 days as uh, as we have these baby steps back to normalcy. Right, and it'll be curious to watch if um, that pullback in support has any uh, direct factor into if we do see a second wave or even another spike, if um, people are concerned that, okay, well, you let us through the first round of this, um, but now the messaging and the measures were confusing. And now look at, we're right back into uh, yeah. September where we're spending most of our time inside. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting challenge. Like you said, it's hard to justify when you're watching your friends across the border uh, in another province, being able to do things in the summer and you can't, and then maybe not really understanding why. Um, so yeah, definitely something to watch there. But Nick, else I wanted to get your take on. Uh, again, last week or last episode, you had flagged, you know, watch for those job numbers. It's going to be a big kind of factor in how things shake out over the next little while. So they were semi-positive. Could I say that? We got yeah. um, and job increases. 
uh, instead of more losses, although there have been millions. Um, but opposition parties, early, they're now calling for a full budget, a full accounting of all of the money that has been spent. Uh, and I'm wondering what's your sense of where Canadians are at when it comes to, you know, how much has this costed? Are we ready to have that number? And right. is it time to start to move into that overall accountability conversation? You know, when we talk about the hit, you know, what's interesting is that in uh, research that we did with Leanberg News, about one in six Canadians reported either being laid off or having their hours cut uh, as a result of the pandemic. But what we saw also was that those Canadians in the latest research that we did, about 30% of those come back. And we saw that bump. I think it was over 300,000 Canadians in a month, which is a big jump. But factoring the massive drop that occurred in the months leading up to that, it, it, this was actually the first piece of good news economically that anyone has really seen in Canada because it suggested at least some businesses are bringing back people to work and are increasing hours back to the way they were before. But what this has done is, you know, think of it this way. If businesses are starting to normalize and get back to work, people will expect the federal government, even though it's operating virtually, to get back to work and start to delivering on things. And that's why it shouldn't be a surprise that the opposition parties are putting a significant amount of pressure on the federal government in order to, uh, to have the federal government table a budget or financials, basically to have some type of reckoning and accounting as to what has transpired over the last number of months. But expect the Liberals to be potentially reticent and hesitant because it's a moving target. There could even be more stimulus the economy, we don't know whether the, this kind of initial mini rebound will continue or whether it's going to be the new normal. So I think for the Liberals, they're probably, probably just a little hesitant right now to put out numbers that they might have to revise again because it's too early to tell how we're climbing out of this from an economic and from a health perspective. Right. And I think your latest figures have shown, too, that the Liberals are still far ahead of the other parties when it comes to support. So they are likely to probably ride out some of that for a little bit longer. Yeah, well, they've got they definitely got brand capital to burn. You know, we have a power index that measures the brand strength of all the parties. And the Liberals are still basically at a, at a 12 month high. The Conservatives are actually 20 points on this 100 point index behind. Uh, they're they're at like a five year, six year low in terms of their brand. So for the Liberals, the big question will be, will they be able to maintain this brand strength or will some of it be expended as potentially stimulus starts to get scaled back, uh, as there are more questions about what the deficit might be, as they're on the defensive, as they're answering opposition parties and their calls to put, a, put forth a budget and to be more transparent. It'll be interesting to see whether this has a negative impact on the Liberal brand numbers. All right. And lastly, this week, I uh, wanted to get your take on the border. So uh, the federal government roll out a special exemption to allow immediate family members of Canadians and permanent residents to come into Canada. So this is people in the United States or abroad. If you have family here, you can come and stay under certain conditions. Uh, and I think also we're looking to probably by next week have an answer concretely on or not the Canada-US border is going to be extended, the closure, for another month. Um, right now, all indications are that that is likely going to be the case. Um, but I'm curious, Nick, how do people feel about, you know, possibly reopening the Canadian border at this point? First of all, we should parse out what people want with what people need. You know, it's, I don't think it would be a stretch to say that 
Canadians will be very happy to see the border open, that they have many friends and family in the United States, and they'd like to get back to normal, not just in terms of the border with the United States, but just life in general. However, what's interesting is that when we ask questions about when the border should be open in the context of this COVID-19 outbreak, only 20% or one out of every five Canadians believe that the border should be opened once all businesses are allowed to open. And uh, the other thing is, is that about 31% or thereabout, from what I recall, uh, want to wait for a vaccine actually to come out before the border is open. And then uh, about four out of every 10 are willing to wait to the end of the summer. So it looks like, uh, we you say staycation? Well, staycations, there's not gonna be a lot of Canadians, at least right now, that will be looking to cross the border for their vacation. And uh, right now, it's more like wait and see, hope for things to get better before the border is fully open. So I think the announcement that you just talked about is a welcome announcement to help some families kind of stay in contact and reunite. Interesting. So Nick, I feel like wait and see could be the big takeaway of every week, but is there kind of one thing you want us to keep an eye on going forward? Well, the thing to watch right now are the job numbers. Uh, and I would say this, uh, this increase in the past report from Statistics Canada as positive. The big question is, is whether this increases again. The other numbers to watch is, will there be any kind of surge in the COVID-19 outbreak as a result of these protests that we've had and whether that has any impact? Because the thing is, is if there's no impact, then it'll be like Canadians were able to express their outrage at the situation, were able to send a message, and in the ideal world, there was no negative fallout on the COVID front. Right, and then maybe prompting the question of, okay, well, if we can have a mass gathering in that situation, could we maybe loosen things up more than, you know, 10 or so people? So definitely something to watch there. Uh, Nick, thank you so much. If there, uh, if people want to find you or, you know, look into a bit more of the numbers that you shared today, where can they do that? So to find the numbers, visit the Nanos website at www.nanos.co, or you can follow me on Twitter at Nick, N-I-K, Nanos. Great. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rach Aiello, and you can find Trendline on CTV News' YouTube channel if you want to look at some of the graphs and some of the images we talked about if you were listening to our podcast feed. Uh, and again, just thank you so much for tuning in this week. We really appreciate it. We know there's a lot of big, important conversations going on right now, and we're so grateful that you included us in your um, dossier of things that you were listening to absorbing and, and considering this week. So thank you, and have a good rest of your week.